I'm going to preach today a message on the fourth man in the fire. But before I do that, I need to recap some of last night because I was caught between about, look at you guys, did a graphic. I gave you that sermon at 7.50 this morning and you guys did a graphic. Praise God. Thank you, media team. I was reading on the plane in Jeremiah 23 this week, had a 15-hour flight from Nairobi to JFK. And I opened my Bible when I woke up in the morning. How many know when you're 41,000 feet in the air, you just feel like you're closer to God? You also feel like you can meet him at any moment. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I opened my Bible not to get a sermon, but just to commune with God, just to abide in his presence. And that's a discipline that we have every day being people of the word of God. I opened my Bible to Jeremiah 23. And I just want to kind of give you a little snapshot of what I preached to our teenagers last night. And then we're going to go over to the fourth man in the fire and we're going to leave shouting. Jeremiah 23, verses 16 to 30. You can read this this week and study it out for yourself, which I hope you do with every sermon. Don't let your emotions take you to a place that Scripture isn't. Jeremiah 23, God is rebuking Jeremiah and the prophets. Well, he's rebuking the prophets for not preaching the word. And in Jeremiah 23, it gives a pretty bleak picture of God's people. And it says things like this. Stop preaching the dreams of your own heart and start preaching my word again. Stop running with your vision and get back to my word. It actually says, stop telling people that everything will be okay with them when they're not living in holiness. Let let, let me me tell you this. It it irks my spirit when I hear people say, well, this is going to be the greatest year of our lives. Yeah, for the righteous it is, and for the wicked, it's going to get continually worse. All will be well for the righteous. But as far as the wicked, unless you're on God's side, I find it amazing that people, and I've seen, I, me and my dad were in a meeting when I was just a kid. I saw a preacher do this. He said, every person who gives $1,000, uh, pray, I'll pray for you and something about, and everything will be fine for you. Let me tell you, you can give it to your blue in the face. If you're not living in holiness, you're going straight to hell. You know, people think they can buy the power of God and they, they don't realize that they have no relationship with God at all. And, and, I, and while I'm on this moment as well, you can look at Matthew chapter seven. There are people who they cast out devils, they heal the sick, they, laid, they, they lead great revivals and they're not even saved. Amen. Don't think, don't trade what you do for God as your relationship with God. Don't you know, in Matthew 24, in the first verses of that passage, that's the, that's the time period we're living in right now. And if you thought 2020, I heard people say, I heard preachers say, oh, that was the worst year of my life. Buddy, that was a 2.0 on the Richter scale of the end times. If you think that 2020 was the end of bad years for the wicked, you are sadly mistaken. Are things 
Book of Daniel, book of Revelation, First and Second Thessalonians, uh, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, end time eschatology passages. For the wicked, do things get better or worse? Worse. The world is going, the, the hope of the gospel is this. It's just like in, in the days of Noah, which is part of Matthew 24. There is a ship that you can get on. And unless you get on that ship through that one door, that door is Jesus Christ. Unless you get on that boat, destruction is assured. But for those who got on the boat, God supernaturally supplied in these end times. You know what I know about Noah? Noah couldn't have a job on the boat other than to be faithful with what God has called him to do. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to righteousness, that goes to heaven. Let me just tell you this. We'll have a great end time harvest of souls, but at the same shot, many will perish. And if you thought COVID was something in 2020, wait till you see what they do this fall and into 2022. Those who close their churches, are you going to close your church for every pestilence? Or did they rip Matthew 24 and 25 out of your Bible? So this is just kind of what I shared last night with our youth. God rebuking his prophets for them telling people to dream again when it was time to repent. Because dreams without holiness is witchcraft. Vision without victory is sinfulness. God was messing me up with this this week. Stop telling people they're gonna live in peace because they're not. The righteous will, the sinners won't. The righteous will prosper in every season, Psalm chapter one, but for the wicked, forget it. Stop trying to save the world. That, you, know, you always know an antichrist agenda when it's focused on saving the world and going green. You know, I feel like the next president we're, we're going to elect is like a, like a whole, fi- whole Foods sales representative. <laughs> some, some weirdo who knows more about essential oils than they do about the Constitution of the United States. This is argon oil. You can take this and put this on your salad for proper BMs. And then you can also take this and put this on a rash that you might have. A bunch of weirdos. People have their heads so far up their rear ends, it's not even funny. I'm sorry. People telling masses of people, if you'll just give, you'll prosper. No, you won't. Because you might become rich and still not prosper. This week, I was, last week I was in Qatar. Qatar is one of the most rich nations and one of the most impoverished nations ever seen in my life. Because they have Lamborghinis and Bentleys in the airport, and yet there's a mass amount of people who do not know Jesus Christ. Don't let riches fool you. Now, on the same shot, don't be broken, blame God to balance the scales. Prosperity of soul is the key, Third John. Beloved, I wish that you'd prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Matthew 23 goes on to talk. He rebukes the prophets. And he says, when you have the word of the Lord, boldly proclaim it. My word's like a fire. My word is like a hammer. And then this last just piece I'll hit on real quick, Matt, uh, Jeremiah 23, 30, and then we're gonna get into the word of God that I have for you today. 
Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. I don't know if you realize this, but we don't buy our sermons around here because it's, it's not right. I've actually had youth, youth ministries, youth, youth pastors come to me and say, hey, you guys are a big church. What curriculum do you do? I know this is gonna be really crazy. You wanna hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit dated, but uh, it, it's actually living and active and it's wonderful. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. It's this crazy concept that one day a week, I fast, I pray, I ask God for a message, I write it down and I give it to his people. Not printing it off offline. You know, I found this nice devotional today. No, he, God actually rebukes the prophets for stealing the words of others. You know what that means? Secondhand revelation is a death sentence. Secondhand revelation is a death sentence. Why did, why, why did Eve fail with the words of God? Because she had second revela- secondhand revelation of what Adam knew. Adam communed with God, Eve did not. Stop living off of secondhand revelation. This means to you, when I'm preaching the word of God to you today, the reason I give you scripture references is so you can go home, open the Bible, and have firsthand revelation for yourself. You know, even in Matthew 25, the five wise and the five, uh, five foolish. The five foolish turned to the five wise when the bridegroom was coming, and they said, behold, he's coming. Let us have some of your oil. Can I tell you something? You can't have oil that belongs to somebody else. I can lay hands on people, and that's not, like people say, well, that's a transference of the anointing. Yes, I, I understand that, but you can't have the, because my anointing, according to 1 John, I believe chapter 2, comes from Jesus himself. That means that, you know, you can't just go to some great man of God, living in sin, lay hands on me, brother, and then you go and actually have close fellowship with God. See, until we have firsthand revelation of who God is, we're walking with God, we're talking with God, we're communing with God, we're abiding with Christ, John chapter 15, verse seven, and his words abiding in us. John chapter one says that, that now the word became flesh. See, see, before the foundations of the earth, God used God to create the world. And he spoke Jesus. He spoke the word to the situation. He spoke revelation to what was going on because the revelation of the word is actually what changes us. I'm so sick of people who say, I want revival, I want revival. They want revival because they want lots of church and them to become famous. But you know what we need? We need a a prayer revival. We need a Bible revival. We need a sacrificial lifestyle revival. I don't want revival so that I, my, my videos can go viral on YouTube. I want revival so that we can snatch people out of the fires of hell and see them go to heaven. See, when you hear people say that, oh, brother, we just need revival. You, you, the reason that we don't have revival is because we're not hungry enough for it. The only reason that we are not living right now, if, if you're not living, and I'm talking about the, the corporate church, that they're not living in revival is because they're content living without it. We've actually figured out how to get people in the door, how to get uh, dollars in the plate without people living close to Jesus Christ, so we've been content living without revival. But I don't see that being true about this house of worship in these end days. I see this being a hungry people for the things of God. 
I see this being a people who say, come hell or high water, I'm going to be at 3364 Scranton Carbondale Highway, Blakely, Pennsylvania, 18447. I see this being a people who say, and even more than that, I will be a man of God at home. I will be a woman of God with my children. I will be somebody who takes this gospel everywhere I go, everywhere I place my foot, that I am Christ's ambassador in that situation, that I am one who carries the greatest hope on the face of the earth. And I know this, that all shall be well for the righteous. But as for the wicked, it's time that we start collecting oil because the bridegroom is coming. The five wise and the five foolish. The five foolish said, we want your oil. See, the five foolish are more concerned about their lamps, which is your display of ministry, than they were about their personal fellowship with God, which is your oil. The Bible records that the five wise actually brought extra vats of oil with them. I don't know how they did that. Maybe they carried a lamp in their mouth and, and two jugs and they, they had to walk into the waiting room and they're walking into the waiting room and, and people thought that their lowly estate was because of some great sin in their life or some great problem in their life and they didn't understand that the reason that they're walking with a limp and with their head down to the ground is because they're carrying so much oil. They're carrying so much anointing. They're carrying so much prayer. They're carrying so much word that they know that every time that somebody tries to get their head and become the most famous person in the room is the time that pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. These people had to walk in carrying great jugs of oil, heavy. That was a burden to carry. And I, I can just imagine people walking in with their lamp. Look how nice my lamp is. You know what that shows us? It doesn't matter what kind of lamp you carry in this world. It only matters about your personal communion and fellowship with God. Yes. Amen. So that was what I preached last night. Let's go over to the fourth man in the fire, Daniel chapter 3. Hallelujah. Are you glad you're in church today? Amen. I am. Praise God. Daniel chapter 3. Give a little backdrop here. Children of Israel are exiled out. You read the book of Jeremiah, it makes more sense. God's plan, because of their wickedness and their sin, had to take them out of their promised land. You know what's, you know what's wild to me, by the way, in Matthew 25? All 10 virgins were pure. Because purity alone, you not sinning, is not enough for you to get to heaven. I'll just tuck that in your spirits for later. So they're exiled out. King Nebuchadnezzar makes a big gold statue of himself. He was obviously a very humble man. People egged him on to do it. Yeah, in the same way, that's what people do today. We erect things that display our greatness instead of seeking the greatness of God. So it's funny because in Matthew 7, which I referenced before, when, when, they, when they get to, to heaven, I think that's Matthew 7. Sorry, everything's kind of running together. When they get before Jesus, 
when they say, but Lord, we did all this for you. You know, God's the only boss that you can work for him your whole life. He can fire you and you can still work for him. We cast out devils in your name. Yeah, thanks, but I still never, never knew you. I never had fellowship with you. I never, you never, I never knew you in the prayer closet. I never knew you in the word. I never knew you in fasting and prayer. I never knew you through your tears of travail. I just knew you for what you did, not who you were with me as a son, as a daughter. So Nebuchadnezzar erects this big old statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. The clock's definitely not my friend. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, this is verse 13 and continuing on, I gotta be quick. In a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them, saying, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image that I have set up? Is it true that you guys didn't close your church down? Yes. Now, if you are, sorry, now, now if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image for which I made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? We have a government right now that is saying to the church, and who is the God that's gonna deliver you? you know, I, they're literal like, sound bites from CNN. These people are crazy to think that they can trust in God and not get this virus. Literal sound bites from CNN. They put Kenneth Copeland and Gloria Copeland on it. These people say that Jesus is their flu shot. What, what foolishness. They're literally saying, who, what God can deliver you out of our God? One of the greatest gods that was exalted in 2020, lowercase g, by the way, was the God of healthcare. This is about your own safety. I don't care about my own safety. I care about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gospel shall be preached, Matthew 24, 14, before the end of, before his coming. What if you get sick? Who cares? I won't get sick, but honestly, if one person gets saved and I die, it was worth it. It was worth it. We have to get back to the place that Jesus is Lord, not just Savior of our lives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, this, if that is uh, the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, in case you thought I was being prideful, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar got ticked off. He tried to give him one more olive branch. I guess you could say it that way. So he throws him in the fire. Verse 21 and continuing on. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the, the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, took up the guards. 
And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished when he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose. People quote that and say, I see four men. No, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth, the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come on here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, all the fancy people, saw these men, all the wicked rulers, saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. (laughs) The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Went from killing them to promoting them immediately. Went from killing them to repenting in a moment. It's time that those who set themselves against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ either repent before they're destroyed. Who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him? And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, frustrated the king's mandates, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be, and this is where the veggie tale says, shall be cut into pieces, or shall be tickled forever. But for the sake of the children in the room, I'm just going to say what the Bible says, because I think that's the smartest thing. Shall be cut in pieces and their houses be made in in an ash heap. You know, it's not about... You know, people say ridiculous things. You know, they're not asking us not to have church. Just have church in a different way. No, that's an attack against the church. Because meeting together is not our idea. It's God's idea. Hebrews 10.25. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He didn't say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the live stream. Praise God. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know, every church that stayed open in 2020 is doing better than they ever have because God sees the heart and always promotes. First thing I want to, if you're taking notes, bring out from this text this morning is that the law of compromise The law of compromise. The law of compromise states that if you bow, you will burn. If you bow your knee to the things of this world, you can guarantee that your fate will be sealed and that destruction is a surety. If you bow to the things of this world, you will burn. Everybody say this out loud. Say, if I bow. Don't say it like a morgue. Say, if I bow, I will burn. 
Johnny Cash wrote a song called The Fourth Man in the Fire. Anybody remember that song? Everybody's like afraid to raise their hand. Like, it's okay. He had a hymns album, so it makes him a, a Christian artist. Praise God. But if you don't bow, you can't burn. See, anything that you compromise to get, you'll ultimately lose in the end. Anything that you compromise to receive, in the end, you will ultimately lose. I feel bad for people who have built their church on everything other than that book right there. I feel bad for every person. I don't feel bad for them. But I'm concerned for every person who has built their life on the dollar, who has built their life on the government system, who has built their life on what their own strength can accomplish and has not built their life on the word of God. Because that which you compromise to get, in the end, you will, you will lose. We have to be people who will not compromise in our discipline, who will not compromise in our personal walk with Jesus Christ. We will not compromise in our thought life, in our families, in our school, in our work. Whatever our hand finds to do, I refuse to compromise to the things of this world. Because Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on your translation, in, in chapter two and verse 15 says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things. It's the little things that in the end, it's the little compromises that send people to hell. Not everybody in hell is a murderer and a rapist and a bad person. They're simply people who did not accept Jesus Christ and repent and turn to him. Let me tell you this, there will be good people who go to hell. There will be pastors in hell. There will be people who people call saints who will be in hell. Because what people call you is not what sends you to heaven. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ and living a dead life that we get to heaven. No compromise. Everybody say, no compromise. We can't be people who bow our knee. I actually was scheduled to preach in North Korea when I was a teenager. The guy who organized it said this, we're going to fly, we're going to go to Seoul. We'll cross the border. He says, when we cross the border, he says, that's where the DMZ is. He said, all we have to do is they're going to have a little statue. And if you'll bow, and I don't know if he was testing me or not. He said, if you'll bow down to it, they'll actually let you cross the border into North Korea. I said, I'm not going to bow. By the way, the guy was an Assemblies of God pastor, not in this house. I said, I'm not going to bow at 15 years old. I said, we'll go. I said, but I won't bow. He said, I'm canceling the trip. I said, cancel it then. I don't want to go with you anyways. I don't want to go with people who have compromise. I refuse to be hitched to people of compromise. We will not be people who bow down and compromise to the things of this world. We don't bow down to a disease. We don't bow down to a virus. You know, John G. Lake in South Africa during the Black Plague, did he stop preaching or did he lay his hands on the sick? When Jesus actually commissioned us and said, go into the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, he had already factored in every pestilence. Matter of fact, four, four, four chapters before he did. 
He prophesied of it. We can't be compromising people. I love you enough to tell you this morning that don't tell me that you're willing to die for Christ when you're not willing to live for him. Don't tell me that you're willing to die for Christ and you won't show up to his church. Oh, brother, I'd die for the Lord. Really? Because you won't get out of bed in the morning to come to church. And don't give me that malarkey that, well, it's all about the big church. It's, you know, it's actually the capital C church. I've never met a person who, who preaches like that, who talks like that, who's ever effective in the kingdom of God. Thank you for all those amens. The second thing that I see out of this chapter is that God is our present help in time of trouble. See, God didn't put them in that furnace, but he sure delivered them out of it. God never put COVID-19 on, on this, this nation and on this world, but he certainly delivered us out of it. God didn't put sickness and disease on this world, but he will deliver his church out every time that we call on him. God didn't put you in that bad marriage, but he'll turn it around. God didn't put your kids in sin, but he's calling the prodigals to come home. God didn't put that thing in your life, but I know that he'll deliver you out of it. God didn't put those Hebrew boys in, in the, the furnace, but he certainly took responsibility to take them out of it because the Bible says that for every person who trusts in the Lord, they won't be put to shame. Let God be true and every man be a liar. See, God didn't put them in it, but he delivered, delivered them out of it. Really quick, Isaiah chapter 43, two and three. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. He's reminding them of their history to deliver them in their present and future. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Here's what I know. I know the God who delivered me. I know the God who healed my son's heart. I, I know the God that, that when sickness and disease tried to attack my body, you have to stand up with your feet and sometimes on your knees and call out to the God who will deliver you every time. Amen. He doesn't put stuff on his kids. He doesn't put stuff on you, but he takes responsibility for us and he delivers, delivers us out of it every time. See, that passage in Isaiah 43 goes on to say, fear not for I am with you. We don't have to fear. A lack of fear doesn't come from a strength of who we are. It actually comes from a place where we come to the feet of Jesus Christ and say, there's so many things that contest me, God. There's so many things that come against me, God, but I know that you're present with me and I know you didn't put these things in my life, God, but I know even stronger than that, that you have taken responsibility for us even today 
death on the cross. And now I know that Romans 8 and verse 11 says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in me and quickens my mortal body. So I know that there's resurrection power in me. I, if it doesn't look like it, if it doesn't feel like it, I got a power working for me that's conquering every enemy, that's bringing me over every barrier, every financial obstacle, because the God who is with me is stronger than the contestment that's against me. The Bible says, the Bible says that he is our present help in times of trouble. When we pass through contestment, when, when your kids try, try to come against you and say, I feel doing this, I, I feel this way, you can stand up flat-footed and know that if you've raised them in the ways of the Lord, that they shall not depart from it. It's taught, when I said before that we need a Bible revival, I'm not talking we just need to sit around like scholars. I'm saying we need to go to the word of God and let it be our reality. Every day I wake up, this word has to be my food. It's time we become people who eat the scroll. It's time that we become people who go to God. You know, I'm not against doctors, I'm not against medical care, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly against when they're number one and not Jesus. Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. It continues on in Matthew 6 that why should we worry about tomorrow for, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Don't we know? Can't you see the lilies? Can't you see the things of the field? Don't you see the grass and know that God will deck you out even more than these? But the precept is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that everything else will be added unto you. See, God is our present help. You know, when we preach prosperity, when we preach divine health, people look at you and think that, well, that you've never had an issue in your life. Are you kidding me? Things will come against you. There's contestment in life. If there wasn't contestment in life, then was Jesus contested with the cross? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he sweat great drops of blood? Father, I don't want to do this. But your will be done. Meaning I will give my life, I will throw my life at your plan. Then we go over to the book of Acts and we see Eutychus when Paul was preaching and he falls out of the church and he dies. And I can imagine Paul preaching about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and now someone's dead because they fell out of church. There's a lot of people who have fallen out of church in 2020 and they've died spiritually, but God's not calling us to make fun of them. God's calling us to run to the Eutychuses of our life and to throw ourselves at them and to breathe, breathe resurre resurrection life into them. Because God's with us. I had someone say one time, you're the most arrogant young man ever met in my life. Don't, don't, don't do that. It was probably the best thing I can hear. But that's sadly mistaken because I have no confidence in my flesh. I have every bit of confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. I have no confidence in my flesh. Heck, if, 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 if Pastor let you know last week that I was preaching this morning, half of you wouldn't show up. I wouldn't have shown up, praise God. I'm just kidding. Sometimes I preach and I think, I can, I can tolerate that for five minutes. 
I have no confidence in my flesh. Are you kidding me? There, there, there's, there's a billion other people who, who could preach head and shoulders over me. But I've learned this thing. If I trust in him. When I lay hands on the sick, it's not me laying hands on the sick. It's the hands of Jesus Christ laying hands on the sick. I don't have confidence. People, oh, you're a great man of faith. Great man of faith. I, I just simply believe in the resurrection power of Christ. Paul actually said, in your weakness is his power made perfect. Not in your great strength. God is present to help us. The Bible says in Psalm 46 and verse one that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Colossians 1.27 and part B says that it's Christ in you who is the hope of glory. See, that fourth man in the fire was not just another man. He was Christ. He is Christ and will always be Christ. See, in every book of the Bible, we see Christ. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, he's a lawgiver. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our sovereign God. In Ezra, he's the true and faithful scribe. But in Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, he's the timeless redeemer. In the book of Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, our wisdoms cry. In Ecclesiastes, he's the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he's the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. But oh, let's get to the book of Daniel. Because in Daniel, he is that fourth man in the fire. He is Jesus Christ. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end and, and is to come and ever shall be because he is Jesus and he's our present help in time of trouble. I don't have confidence in who I am, but I have confidence that fourth man is in the fire. That he'll never leave me or forsake me. When the doctors walked away and shook their head because my son had three holes in his heart, Jesus was with me. When I had one penny in my bank account, my first week of ministry five years ago, he was Jehovah Jireh. He was my provider. I remember feeling two months on the mission field like I must have made some mistake. But I remember he, he was my peace. I remember opening the doors of the church out there 100 miles from Russia. One kid showing up. Can we be Jesus to the one? Can we still believe that he's the fourth man in the fire, even when it doesn't make sense? Can we, can we still believe that he's our present help when it looks like we're helpless and all you have is your faith to make it through? Can you believe that he is, he is the lover's dream when your marriage seems stagnant? Can you believe that he's the redeemer of time when you're 65 years old and he calls you into full-time ministry? Can you believe that he is the power of God when we lay our hands on the sick and believe for the impartation of the manifestation of the divine resurrection? Do we believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do we believe passages like John 14, particularly verse 12, when he said the same works that I, will, I do, you shall do in greater? Do we believe the fourth man in the fire? See, in Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. He wasn't a man. 
He is Jesus Christ. See, but in Hosea, he's forever faithful. In Joel, he's the Spirit's power. In Amos, he's the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores the lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's our fountain. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. And that's just the Old Testament 39 books. Let's get over to the New Testament, see, because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, he's God, he's man, and he's Messiah. In the book of Acts, he's fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, he's the power of love. In Galatians, he's freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. In Thessalonians, he's our coming king. In Timothy, in Titus, and Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our great shepherd. In John and Jude, he's the lover coming for his bride. But let me tell you something. I read the book of the end of the book in Revelation. And guess what I figured out? He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. The Nebuchadnezzars can make their decrees, but they can't ever stand against that fourth man in the fire. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the son of man, and he is the son of David. He is the lamb of God. He is the great I am. He's the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come and ever shall be. He's the alpha and the omega. He's our God, and he's our savior. He is. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's Jehovah Jireh, your provider. He's Jehovah Shalom, your prince of peace. He's Jehovah Nisi, your victory in this moment right now. If we'll only put a demand on him and not a man, if we only put a, a, a demand on the anointing of Jesus and not man there's no man who can save those hebrew boys out of that furnace only god see that fourth man in the fire wasn't a man at all he was god our savior one of the last things i want to say today is that when you're put in a fiery trial, don't despise fiery trials. See, because the only thing that burned up on those Hebrew boys was the bondage that they were put in. Their hair didn't singe. They didn't even smell like smoke. You ever been by a campfire? You get within 30 foot of a campfire and you're gonna smell like, you know, a chimney. You ever stand next to someone who's smoking a cigarette? A three-inch thing makes you smell like hell. Yet these boys are put in a fiery furnace and not even the smell of smoke was on. Their hair wasn't singed. Their clothes weren't burnt. But there was one thing that burned and that was the bondage that the government put on them. I've come here to tell you today that fiery trials only burn up that which isn't of God. See, what was designed to take them out actually served as a delivering agent to promote them. Because the eternal can't burn. Fiery trials only burn away that which is not meant for your eternity. I think it's funny that people preach things and don't think of the rest of the Bible. See, in 1 Peter chapter 4, in verses 12 and 13, it says, Beloved, do not, be so, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Amen. But rejoice. Insofar 
as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, fire is actually what, what accelerates your value. The fiery trial is not meant to take you out. It's, it's actually sent to accelerate your God-given purpose on your life. I know it's tough to remember when you're going through a contesting time, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through something that doesn't look like there's any help, but that's actually the time that God will purify you, that you come out like gold. Fiery trials aren't meant to burn you up. They're meant to burn out the things that won't be in eternity. This makes a whole lot of sense when James, the younger brother of Jesus, in chapter one says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all a joy, because the fourth man in the fire is with you, and he's only using that which you were thrown into to purify you to take off the bondage that others had tried to put on you. The last thing I want to say today, and I close with this, as the worship team comes back, is that the greatest schemes of the enemy will turn into your promotion. The greatest schemes of the enemy will turn into your promotion. Why is it that we trust more in the circumstances of life than we do in simple faith in Jesus Christ. And I say that with conviction to myself. Why is it that we, we look at a situation in the natural and think, okay, well, maybe this will happen or maybe that will happen or if I do this, then I can be, no. Why is it that we look, you know, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse five that cursed is the man who leans on the arm of the flesh. Cursed. Cursed. See, there's a blessing reserved for people that all they've got is Jesus. This makes sense to passages like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the earth. Theirs is the kingdom of God. It, it, it puts things in perspective that, that when our focus is on Christ, the things of this world grow strangely dim. Who is that fourth man in the fire? You could call me crazy. I just believe that the God that's inside of you is greater than the trial that's in front of you. You could call me crazy. You could, you could think that, that I'm, I'm young and, you know, I just, well, you know, you haven't experienced life or you haven't, you know, I, I think that's crazy because I've ministered to people who are eight and nine years old and, and, and they've, they've been abused and taken advantage of them. They have problems that most of you will never face. I think it's funny how people take take scriptural truths and try to dumb them down because of age or because of season of life or anything like that. When we just saw that the fourth man in the fire, he, he, he goes beyond any season. He's our timeless redeemer. That fourth man in the fire cares about every prodigal that's represented here today. That fourth man in the fire cares about every sickness and disease. He cares about every, every detail of your life. Just a little footnote on fiery trials. Fiery trials are not sickness and disease. Fiery, and tri fiery trials are not poverty. I've never seen any person in the Bible put their hope in God and them 
go down in life. However, when you're at work and you invite somebody out to church and they mock you and they ridicule you and they say things against you, let that purify you and have its perfect work on the inside of you because you know that that fiery trial is delivering you into something more valuable. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of yourself listening and tag us on social media at Peckville Assembly of God. We'll see you next time. And remember, we love you, God loves you, and may God's richest blessing be yours.